Matthew chapter 1. I thought it would be good of us to take a look at the birth of Christ throughout this Christmas season and see what each gospel writer says about it. They all have a different nuance. Each gospel itself tells the story of Jesus a different way. Not, uh, not contrasting, but highlighting certain things. So it's Christmas. No doubt your shopping has begun, negotiations have begun on where you will celebrate on Christmas morn. But friends, you ought not to wait for Christmas Day to celebrate. Hear me when I say this. There isn't a day that goes by that you ought not to celebrate Christmas. Frankly, in our minds, the, the importance of Christmas is, is, is far too low on the list. The incarnation of the Son of God changes everything. You don't need snow, you don't need fireplaces or chestnuts, whatever those are, or tiny tots with their eyes all aglow, because frankly, Christmas ought to be celebrated every single day in our hearts. We ought to remember this truth and realize how everything changes because of it. So we're going to study the incarnation is frankly what we ought to be calling this festive season because it is God taking on flesh. You ever hear of chili con carne? Chili with flesh. Yeah. When God became man, added humanity to himself. And we're going to focus on the big picture, starting all the way back with Abraham. I mean, we could go all the way back to Adam, which, by the way, Luke does. But Matthew starts with Abraham, because that's where the nation of Israel begins. And the promise is made to him. As a matter of fact, some promises made about the coming of Christ. Look at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Well, there's a statement. I mean, that's the shortest genealogy I've read in the Bible. <laughs> Highlighting some significant things here, my friends. You see, because when we think of Abraham, we think of a nation. We think of the seed of blessing, a covenant that was made. And you know that covenant. And friends, if you don't, you're just not listening. <laughs> you see, God made a covenant with Abraham, chose him out of nowhere. It wasn't because of something Abraham was doing or wasn't doing or where he happened to be, but by the grace of God. And he made a covenant with him that he was going to bless him personally. And Abraham became a man of great, great riches. That was part of the blessing. But the other part of the blessing is that out of him he would make a great nation. A nation that if others blessed, would, the result would be their blessing. Frankly, if you study a bit of American history, you'll see our attitude toward Israel and the blessings that came within because of it. But anyone that curses Israel would be cursed. And then comes this most important statement. And through this nation, all the families of the world would be blessed. 
And that's Jesus. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Abraham about the race. And then he talks about David. Why David? Well, because God also made a covenant with him that involved Jesus. The Davidic covenant is what we call it, and it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, you know the account because you listen, (laughs) because you know that David wanted to build a house for God. I want to build him a temple. I want to build this wondrous thing. I live in this beautiful home, and God is in a tabernacle dwelling with his people. There's a word we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And so David determined that he wanted to build God a house. And so he told Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet came back and said, the Lord has an opinion about that. You know, does God dwell on earth? (laughs) Well, starting at Christmas, he does. Yeah. And I'm going to build you a house. And he talked about a king that would come who would reign forever. Jesus, the king, the Jew and the king, which, by the way, is Matthew's focus in this gospel that Jesus, he presents Jesus as the king. And so we have this focus. So Matthew's genealogy, by the way, is of Joseph. It's of Joseph, Jesus' father in the eyes of the law. Luke, on the other hand, gives Mary's genealogy. And uh, ironically, Mary and Joseph were both descendants of David. And why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, my friends, because this genealogy is necessary for someone to claim they're a king. You have to be of the line of David. And if you can't prove it, my friends, you can't be king. And as of 70 AD, temple was destroyed, all of the records destroyed. No one but Jesus can prove he's the king. Yeah, it's great stuff. Great stuff. So we notice also here, having talked about the promises of the coming Christ, highlighted right there in the very first verse, when we get to verse 2, and verses through 17, we see the people in the line of Christ. You see, the manger was a long road in coming. I mean, all the way back to Adam and Eve and the promise about the seed, the promised seed, which is Christ. There was a line. And that line is uh, traced back to the patriots. Here we go and. Patriarchs. Patriots is a football team. (laughs) In verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and the rest of those guys. Why land on Judah? Because when Jacob blessed his sons, he said, "The, the scepter will not depart out of Judah. You know what line David is from? Judah. It's the line of kings, my friend. The line of kings. 
And Matthew's focus is on the fact that Jesus is the King of Kings. And so we start with the patriarchs, patriarchs of the patriots. Apparently that 102 point something fever has fried my brain a little bit here. We're going to work a little harder, sorry. And so it starts with the patriot, and then a whole line of people, names that are difficult to pronounce, people that you may vaguely remember reading about. But here they are. And it's filled with names that would be unexpected, as a matter of fact. You know, we see in verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Perez and Zerah, Perez and Zerah, there's a great name, by Tamar. And who's this Tamar? Tamar was actually Judah's son's widow. You see, God killed him because he was wicked. And his brother was supposed to go in and, and have children with his brother's wife, as, as mixed as this is, so that Israel would not shrink. This was part of populating the nation. But his, his brother was just as wicked, and God killed him too. And so there's Tamar, the innocent party, waiting. And she realizes nothing's going to happen, so she dresses up as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. What's she doing in the line of Christ? Well, friends... If you had to keep out sinners, the line would look like this. Jesus. People you wouldn't expect that God uses, he uses. Maybe that's you here this morning. People you wouldn't expect God to use. Well, as we continue to read... You know, we read about Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, of course, is the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, I want to tell you something. We've come across two women thus far in the genealogy, and that just doesn't happen. This is a list of names of men, but not in the genealogy of Jesus. And who is Rahab? Well, she was a prostitute, a Canaanite. And uh, when the people of God began to attack her, her land, her people, she trusted God. And she hid some of the Israel spies. And she was joined to the people of God by faith. Yeah, little stories all the way through the line. Doesn't stop there. You got Ruth. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And who is Ruth? Well, we just started studying that. She's a Moabite. She's not even an Israelite. What's the deal with this genealogy? Well, it's filled with grace, isn't it? It's a story of God's grace. And look at that. Ruth. A Moabite. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Why is her name not used there? 
But we all know it, don't we? You know the story. I did a little poll on Facebook of just how many people out there know about who David and Bathsheba are. You know, and it's astounding. People know who David and Goliath are, not so much Bathsheba. But this is the one that emotionally just shakes me when I think about it. Here is David the king. David, the man after God's own heart. The man who says, no, God will not live in a tent. The man who, when everyone was out to war and he should have been there, neglecting his responsibilities, finds himself in a place he shouldn't have been and saw something, of course, he shouldn't have saw. And when he saw it, he should have turned his head. But he looked upon Bathsheba bathing and called for her and slept with her. She was the wife of a man, Uriah. Uriah. <laughs> Hold on to this sermon. <laughs> And, uh, and David had him killed in order to have this woman. How does, a, how does a man, a godly man, end up in this place? One decision at a time. One decision. Careful, my friends. Warnings. And so here is Bathsheba. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and the list goes on and on and on. It's a long road to the manger. Ultimately, we come to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, Christ, of course, is not Jesus' middle name. <laughs> it's not his nickname. It is the Greek word that stands for Messiah. And both of those words mean anointed one, the chosen one. A king, when he became king, was anointed. God chose the kings, and they were anointed by God. He is the chosen one to accomplish God's purpose. And so here the Lord has made promises about the coming of Christ, and that then Matthew lays out this line, this long list of people that lead us to the Christ. Friends, all of the old covenant is walking us arm in arm all the way to the manger. This is where everything changes. This is where all is made right. So, verse 17, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ. 14, three sets of 14 generations. Not everybody is listed here, my friends. Not everyone is on the list, but highlights. 
But when we come to verse 18, my friends, we see the prophecies that are fulfilled concerning the coming of Christ. In other words, we just read, uh, Bill read about the, uh, the Magi, the wise men that came. Why? Because they saw a star? Well, there was a whole lot more clues than that. I mean, look at verse 18. We see the prophecy of Jesus' virgin birth. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Which, if you think about such things, must have been devastating for Joseph. What is this? What do you what do you mean you're you're pregnant? How can you be pregnant? How could David not come or Joseph not come to conclusions? Before they came together, she was found to be with child, and it was from the Holy Spirit. Well that had never happened before. How's David to understand this? Joseph, wow. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, what an honorable man he must have been, resolved to divorce her quietly. Boy, when's the last time that happened? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph! Son of David, there's that emphasis, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now notice verse 22. You're going to see a pattern begin to develop here. Note the phrase, all this took place to fulfill the, what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. We just studied this last week. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's God. And when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus is a Greek name, and the Hebrew form is Joshua. Oh, do you know what that means? The Lord's salvation. Look at all of the clues. It wasn't just a, a named after his uncle hoping to get in on the inheritance, my friend. Every one of these names matters. If I had the opportunity to go back and rename myself, it would be Elimelech. My God is King. Great names of the scriptures. And so again, the scriptures talked about this. Joseph, remember Sunday school? When they talked about this prophecy about the, the virgin birth? Remember that? 
And then there's the prophecy about the place of his birth. Here in chapter 2 and verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, don't miss those words, behold. What this means is, this is amazing. Consider this, wise man came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Imagine it. You see, that star was a part of prophecy. In other words, God had already told them, look out for these things. Long list of them, my friends. And that prophecy from Numbers 24, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, see that's king, shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab, and then break down all the sons of Sheph. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. A king, you say, threatening his throne? Well, we can't have that, can we? And so we even have a prophecy that pointed to the right city. The star itself brought him right to the right house. But this prophecy in Micah 5.2 told us exactly where to find him. Hmm. So when Herod the king had heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. I mean, even this dude, he knew the scripture told us where the Christ was going to be born. You got wise men crossing, I mean, just great distances to come to worship. They know who this is. And you know what? Look at here in verse uh, 5. And they told him, well, we're going to go home and look it up. Not what it says at all, is it? They didn't have to go home. They knew this. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel going to be a king and he's coming from Bethlehem so Herod took a different point the magi that came with great treasures and gifts very valued things that will help them run soon and in verse 7 we read then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen, when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And we know a couple of things about stars. They don't move. <laughs> Something unusual is going on here, my friends. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which again would be a great asset when they're about to travel because the king wants them dead. And oh, by the way, there was a prophecy about that too. No surprises here. All of this was said ahead of time so that we would recognize it. Well, I mean, he was born in Bethlehem, but, you know, so was that other guy last year. What was his name? Um, uh, Ephraim or something. Yeah. Was there a star over his head? (laughs) You know? Hmm. So take a look at verse 12. And he being warned in a dream not to return, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the wise men departed to their own country by another way. And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Now, in studying the word of God, we know that the nation of Israel was told over and over again, don't go to Egypt. But here is instruction. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. And by the way, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Reading that, you say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it also say he's going to be out of Nazareth and and Bethlehem? And how are all these things possible? And now we know. So the prophecies continue. In verse 16, we read, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed. Imagine this, my friends. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Despicable, how evil, how demonic was this man. But when Herod died, verse 19, here we see the prophecy of Jesus coming from Nazareth. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district 
of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. There is that phrase over and over again. This is the one of whom prophets spoke of. That he would be called a Nazarene. Hear me, people. Listen to me, friends and family. God has worked providentially throughout history to bring about the incarnation of Jesus at the right time, in the right place, to accomplish his purpose. His purpose, my friends, listen carefully, was not just to die for your sins and rise from the dead so that you could feel better about yourself. So that you could be one of the good people on the planet. He died to reconcile you to God. Because God's intent has always been, always, always, always has been to dwell with you. Think of the garden. He walked with them in the cool of the day. The point was intimacy with God. That is why Jesus had come. To make things right. To restore. And that's why he calls every last one of us to open our mouths and tell someone else the way someone did for you. God has worked providentially throughout history to bring about the incarnation of Jesus at the right time, in the right place, and for the right purpose. So acknowledge this strategy right here, right now. God uses anyone and everyone. A prostitute, a Moabite, Everyone that people would surely have looked over, God uses them. And do you know why? They're willing. What about you here this morning? What are you willing to do for the Lord? What are you willing to do to keep that chain going? How did you come to faith in Christ? Someone had to tell you. Someone laid it out for you on TV, on the radio, you know, six inches from your nose, wherever it might have been. And someone told them. And someone told that person. What about you? Does it end there? Acknowledge his strategy, working through all kinds of people to accomplish the most astonishing act in history. Edward Kimball, guy sold shoes. Man, what a difference he made in the church. Even up to this very morning, standing before you. A long chain, my friends. And perhaps for Christmas, we'll just take some time to thank him. To realize what God has done.
to take on flesh, to live among us in order to die in our place. Maybe we could spend some time thinking about the significance of that, his suffering and his death. Maybe we give him thanks. And we celebrate his work. And we sing songs. And we smile and we connect with other people and our families. It's worth every, every ounce of celebration, my friends. Every hour of work put into this. It celebrates the fact that Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Tell the world, my friends, tell somebody, please tell someone. Father, help us. The truth is before us throughout all of history moving to this one event that changes everything. A greater miracle, perhaps even more so than the resurrection, was that God would become a man. Thank you. Thank you how you've changed everything. How our eternity is locked. Because we put our trust in you. Because you called us to yourself. How good you are to us. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.